On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got the chance to chat with Matt Putra, a business partner of mine and also uh, my fractional CFO at all of our companies. And we talked all about how to um, structure debt, what kind of debt to take on, the different types of uh, debt levers that are out there, and probably a bunch that you have not heard of before. Uh, things, the way that the bank wants you to structure things versus the way that uh, Matt thinks that things should be structured. You guys are not going to want to miss this episode. Hey guys, before we begin, I want to talk to you about how to grow your e-commerce brand in a post iOS 14.5 world. If you're doing over seven figures in D to C, you need to hear this. Back when Facebook ads were absolutely crushing it and driving massive amounts of revenue, setting up basic flows and sending out occasional email campaigns used to cut it, SMS marketing included. You'd see it constantly and so would we when we were looking at accounts at Mindful Marketing. Brands earning 20 to 45% of their total revenue with email marketing with maybe three to four hours of work a month. And that's because they just set up some basic flows and then silence. But now that the Facebook algorithm has stopped spitting out such ridiculous returns, where do we go? Retention. But it requires marketers to go deeper than simple templated flows and copy and pasted campaigns, which we've seen all the time. It requires actually having a system that increases the LTV of your customers and then actually realizing that entire customer lifetime value in a shorter period of time. And hopefully even seeing a higher LTV. We're saddened to see brands do all the same things with their emails and SMS, and we're sick of auditing agency accounts who simply set up welcome flows and show off how many sales they make. Anyone can set up a welcome flow, abandoned cart flow, etc. That is the simple stuff, guys. The real key in retention marketing is digging deep into your market, copy, offer, your creative, and then pairing that with a strategy that turns one-time buyers into two-time buyers, into three-time buyers, and on and on, just like we've seen at our brands. So if you want to find out exactly how deep our retention marketing strategy goes, book a quick wins call with our team and we will show you exactly how we drive more repeat sales for our clients and hopefully how you can too. Go to mindfulmarketing.co slash quick wins. That's mindfulmarketing.co slash quick wins, all one word. Now onto today's episode. Matt Putra. Welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thank you. I've been watching from afar. Yeah. Love what you guys do. Awesome, awesome. So uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Matt and I are business partners on one sort of uh, business unit that we have uh, together that uh, we're in the midst of a couple of uh, more acquisitions right now. And Matt has also been my fractional CFO for how many years, Matt? Since 2019, I think. Mid-2019, mid yeah. Awesome. I can really say, and I'm not just saying this because Matt's on the podcast, but I can really say that my business life and acumen and all of those things in my head have changed being friends with Matt and working with Matt. Like I, I just think about things differently. I would have never even thought about acquisitions and all of that kind of stuff and, and the way to structure things if it weren't for Matt. So just a big you know shout out to Matt that he really does know uh, what he's talking about. So Matt, for people who don't know anything about you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I started out as a CFO. Well, I did a lot of things, but I was a CFO of a, of a corporate group in Canada. Vancouver, Toronto. And during the pandemic, what I realized is I didn't want to go back to the office and I didn't want to keep commuting and grinding in the corporate life. And I had been working with Jordan for, I think, already a year and a half at that point and just realized how much I loved working with entrepreneurs and their families and like the, the effect that, that I can have on someone's business and their life and their stress levels. And to me, that was the ultimate uh, sort of lifestyle, the ultimate purpose for, for my work. And so then I started sort of following Jordan as he grew into a marketing agency and podcast 
podcasting and getting involved in the e-commerce world, I sort of kind of tagged along. Thank you, Jordan. And then just ended up loving the e-commerce community and the visionaries and the, the people that were just out there like really grinding to grow and found a home where I can really help people do that and have sustainable cash flow. And, and really like one of the big things for me is, is that they can run their companies and, and be less stressed. And so now I work with companies in the US, UK and Canada, and we're growing like crazy and adding to my team. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's really what it does come down to, Matt, right? Is that stress level and being able to sleep at night, especially when people are, are doing... I remember when I owned my Taco Del Mar restaurant, it was all about bank account managing, right? You're just managing your bank account all the time. And that's how you know whether you're successful or not. That's, oh, I have some cash in the bank. Oh, I can pay these bills, right? Whereas I remember the shift and this is when we were doing maybe just like a couple million dollars a year. And it was like, oh, now I need to actually be thinking about debt and those... and But like, wait, why would I... But we're probably profitable. We're making tons of money. Why do I need debt? And I remember like going through all of these sorts of ideas in my head. I may, and probably lots of you are beyond that stage right now. But for me, it was really incredible to think about that. Matt, when do people or when should people get a fractional CFO? When does that make sense in the life of their business? Yeah, so I would say every business should start out doing proper bookkeeping. I would say there isn't any case where you leave that alone. And and for me, what I've seen out there is I really begin to add value. Uh, let, so let, let's put companies in two buckets. So they're going to get venture financing or funding or they're not. So they're going to bootstrap and grow like kind of slowly for the long term. So a company that wants to grow slowly for the long term, I would think a fractional CFO makes sense when you're doing above 500k a year maybe 750 maybe a million dollars a year the reason why okay. is because what i've seen below 750 basically is the owners maybe aren't paying themselves very well or maybe not much and that it's hard for me to create a monetary impact at that level whereas over a million i'm going to pay for myself one two three times over pretty easily when you're making yeah. a million bucks and then but if you're below that like I, it's really I can't actually monetarily pay for myself I can make your life easier but that's not always enough I have found and if you're venture funded if you're looking to go like, grow really really fast even if you're low today you can have a fractional CFO come on you know, when you're starting your seed round, I would say that's when we can add some value there. Because again, you're going to want to plan your burn rates and your when do you need your next round done? And when, you know, can you add some debt here? Who should you hire? So a CFO can add value for a venture funded company right away. Awesome. Is there a stage in the middle? I feel like kind of what we're doing with our outdoor group right now is a little bit in the middle. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the more complex you are, the more I can help. So with our outdoor group, we're not huge, but we're doing a whole bunch of different things. And so that's again where, you know, I see the world in a spreadsheet and a cash flow plan. So when when Jordan talks about, hey, I'm thinking about this initiative and buying this business and getting this debt and doing this personally, for me, those things coalesce into like a, a spreadsheet in my head and then I make it in reality. And so when basically anytime there's more going on than you could sort of map onto your brain and keep track of, you might need a spreadsheet for that's when I can help so basically mm. like even if you're let's say you're 750 uh, and you want to get some debt and go buy two more businesses I can help you for sure and I can make sure you don't trip over some stuff that I've seen before so I think the more complex you are the more value someone can add a fractional CFO can add awesome so today we really wanted to get into this concept that Matt posted on LinkedIn a while ago and so there was this image and we'll actually attach this image in the show notes so that you guys can actually see this image um, but Matt can you show can you sort of try with words to explain these two different images. And then we're going to walk through the type of financing um, that you really recommend and how that's actually better than what the bank sometimes wants you to do. 
Yeah. So uh, the image I think probably some of you will have seen is it's a, a graph over time and there's a black line. And the black line represents your working capital, which is essentially your inventory base, basically. Right. And so it fluctuates between, you know, 500K to a million and then spikes up to a million and a half. So that's what the black line is doing. Oh, I overlaid the black line with your ideal financing structure. So you'll see, you know, in blue, there's a there's a piece of equity at the bottom. Then there's a five year term loan. Then there's a line of credit. Then there's and Shopify ClearCo. And so that's the ideal. Jordan, should I kind of get into more than that right now? Or what do you think? So so walk us through. So that one, right, with that that line of going up and down and the top, essentially the top tranche that he's talking about there is those um, some of those more expensive ways to get debt, like Shopify Capital, Wayflyer, ClearCo. But that doesn't mean that they're bad things no, to do at all. all. No. Right? So Shopify, ClearCo, things like that, PayPal, uh, Wayflyer, those pieces of financing have very clear value. And I think they're, they can be expensive and they can be, can, can require a lot of cash to pay them down very quickly, but they're fantastic. They're flexible. They're there for you like all the time. You can get them in sometimes less than 48 hours. You can get approved in 48 hours. So for- Sometimes you can put two of them together too, if you need to. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the flexibility of those is fantastic and has a super clear place in my mind for e-commerce company because again you know there are times where you know you'll have to pay a big huge deposit and then your stuff sits on a boat until it gets here then you can start selling it so a clear code shopify is a really great option for those you know let's say call it between three to six weeks on the ship to get it here then you can start selling it so i think a very very clear place for those even though they are expensive yeah 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 absolutely so let's walk through your the model that you were showing was a a little bit different than that is that right yeah so i think i put up another one later on where oh I, this was what so the banks will often suggest that when you think of let's say your inventory base is going to be an average of 500k and you spike up to a million and then you, your bigger spikes a million and a half so what a bank will want is probably 20 30 percent of that will to be equity like your own retained earnings or cash flow and they want to give you a line of credit you know to finance most of the base all the way up until that spike where you can use wayfire the reason the bank wants to do that is because they they, it gives them a lot of flexibility in how they manage their exposure to your business. So a line of credit is something called a demand loan, meaning that a bank can actually ask you to pay it back at any time. In practice, that isn't done very often, but there's one example of someone I spoke with that got in big trouble because the bank said, hey, we're done, pay us back right now, and they almost went bankrupt. So uh, a bank can reduce your line of credit, they can expand it, they can cancel it, They can. Ch the rates obviously fluctuate, and so it's very easy for them to manage their exposure and their earnings. Uh, with your business with a line of credit. Now, what I suggest doing is every bank requires some portion of retained earnings. Some e-commerce founders and, and companies, they prefer to finance most of their base with retained earnings because they don't. And we did that forever. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like that was, that was what we, that's exactly how we were doing it. Because I was like, well, I don't really need the cash. So exactly. like personally, so yeah. I'll just keep my retained earnings in there, float it. Mm -hmm. Until Matt comes along and tells me this. Well, and so this is, so the reason <laughs> I don't want you to do that is because at some point, when your business, you know, crosses over the break even is doing well, you can do that. But what you could also do, let's say you don't need the cash today, what you could also do is pull the money out of your business, put it in investments. And what you've done now is you've managed your exposure to your own business. So you now you have an income stream for your business and you have net worth that's in a different exposure to risk. So it's 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 in market risk now. And so you've instead of having all your eggs in one basket, which is your business, you've put your eggs in a couple different baskets in a couple different ways and it manages your own risk 
risk and your own net worth for the future. And so I would suggest to people that you keep, you know, 20, 30% of your inventory base as retained earnings because you always have to have a buffer there. And, and then I would go up to from there, what I would go up to is your average base. So when you look at your inventory fluctuations over the year, a sort of a, a base amount will become clear. Like if you could think of a line. So in my graph, it's around 600, 750. So from let's say 150 to 650, what I like to do is use a five-year term loan. There's a very clear reason that I like to do that. Now, I mentioned to you that with a line of credit, the bank can manage their exposure to you and they can change things. With a five-year term loan, you know exactly how much you're getting. You know how long you have it for. You know what the payments are. You know what the interest rate is. And you just know you've removed any uncertainty from that 150 to 750, basically. Mm. Now, a line of credit is nice because the payments can be lower, but the bank can take it away. With a fixed term loan, the bank cannot take that away from you unless you default. But then you know what the triggers are for default. You know what the risks are for default, all of this ahead of before you ever get the money. And so I like the certainty that a five-year term loan provides. It also gives you one big cash injection, which is paid down through very small monthly payments, as opposed to a, a Shopify ClearCo, where if you, if let's say you took that amount, you'd be paying back, you know, they like, generally they like to get paid back within four to eight months. So imagine paying back 500 grand in four months. That's a lot of cash outflow, where with a term mm. loan, you're paying back five, 600K over five years. So very, very low payments. And it allows you to put that excess cash into the growth of your company. Now, I know a lot of people don't like debt and they don't like personal guarantees, but most businesses, if they're not new, well, if you can qualify for a term loan, you're already not new and you're already, the bank has decided that you're stable. So I think yeah. one thing for people to understand is that your business doesn't just shut off tomorrow, right? Your business will, even if there's an issue, your business will carry on. But to buffer those potential issues, that's why you don't take a full amount of the term loan. That's why you layer these pieces of capital uh, smartly so that you can reduce your risk. And so let's say, for example, the person that had equity. So you could have done the equity, but take your equity out, get a term loan. Then if something ever does happen, your equity is still there. I'm not saying go spend it all, but invest it somewhere else. And if something ever did happen, you have the money to pay it back anyway, right? Right? Yeah. And so for me, I like A, the certainty and B, the very low cash repayments of a five-year term loan. And then the, the next piece that I'd suggest is a line of credit for the, sorry, what I would call the normal curve up above the, the base working capital. And the reason I say yeah. that is because as someone prepares for their spring launch, they're going to have their working capital basis financed, but then they're going to have to buy a big amount of, you know, call it fabric products. It's going to come over. So they're going to buy that with their line of credit. As they sell through that launch, they're going to pay the line of credit off. It's now there for them for the next launch. So when they have to you know, make the big payments to bring it over on the ship or whatever, they're going to pay for that with the line of credit and then they're going to pay it off in three months. That gives you the maximum flexibility and cash flow for your business. And then with, again, Shopify ClearCo is that very last piece. And I say it's the very last piece because it is very, very expensive and it's very, very cash intensive. If there's ever a big spike, like oh, I have to get something here now on a plane or I have to quickly, let's say you sell through too fast of your spring launch, you need to get some more real quick. So you can use Shopify ClearCo to go, okay, go to your supplier hey, I need another 200 grand, 300 grand like now. And yeah. you can use ClearCo for that, sell through it and then pay ClearCo back. But then you have still, you've not like wrecked your cash flow. Because what I see happening out there is basically people get sucked into a cycle with Shopify ClearCo because the yeah. cash flow payments are so high, you have to just keep rolling it over all the time. You never have yeah. enough to kind of feel stable. And so that's why I have this layering and this like that.
Yeah, yeah. Oh, Matt, I love that so much. I'm actually just thinking about a, a recent instance at one of our companies where we were needing to pay a deposit on fall winter fabrics already, and we haven't even started selling spring. <laughs> it's like, so imagine the amount of inventory and that fluctuation that we have, but we have to do it, right? It's not, this is not like we've made some bad business decision. This no, is just in 2022, this is the way that we have to get our fabrics yeah. over and do our manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. And it's mm -hmm. just the time, the, the time suck. Exactly. Um, so if I can move that time back, to me, I'm willing to to pay a bit of a higher rate to do that. Now, luckily, I, I was able to negotiate a, a pretty sweet deal with Shopify Capital. I think they made a mistake. Actually, I know that they did, and then they <laughs> they decided to to honor it for me. So, so that was great. I was I was very very happy to them. Matt, let's let's talk about what the banks want to want to see. Sure. So we've got your you know sort of your A lenders at the bottom or yep. or whatever those those ones are. Yep. Do they get upset with you? Are you breaking any of their covenants? if you go and get some of that short-term capital? Generally not. It depends what size of bank you're dealing with sometimes. It depends how big of a facility you're going to get from them. So for example, some banks will have a clause where you have to ask them if you get any other financing. Some banks don't. If you're more of a risky business, like as in maybe you're newer and you're not wildly profitable, or let's say you're bigger and you have $10 million working capital base, the banks will have a lot of restrictions to protect themselves. Yeah. In that case, you could go offside if you go get financing without asking them first. Uh, but generally speaking, I have not ever seen that to be an issue in the companies where you have this sort of capital stack. Again, it's just you need to read the documentation, ask your CFO or your lawyer if you, if you don't understand it. But it's, it's, it's important to understand because a bank, what the bank could do is if they've asked you to come to them and, and check in and you don't, they could then call that a default and then make you pay everything back right away. So it's important to be yeah. careful. Yeah, absolutely. The great thing in our group of companies now is we have a shared accountant, mm -hmm. which is incredible. And the first thing that he asks for every single time is show me those term papers, mm -hmm. right? Show me those term papers. And at first I'm like, what does it matter? It's just coming out. It's going to be whatever it is a month. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But he really wants to make sure that we're not doing anything that's against the the terms of the contract, right? Um, and that was a big, that was a big shift for me in my mind. Of like, oh yeah, that's right. These people have like certain stipulations that they need to and, and covenants that they that they have. Matt, when you're looking at a balance sheet, let's let's kind of get out of this this sort of idea of debt. I feel like you you did a really good job of explaining why to get that. When you're looking at somebody's balance sheet and their PL, what are some of the, you know, say somebody wants to potentially hire you, what are some of the big red flags that you're looking at and some of the places that you can make a really big difference? Yeah, so I'll start with PL first. Obviously, revenue, sustainability, like, you know, revenue pattern. So if it's wildly fluctuating, if it's like, you know, very small to very big, obviously those are something that's like, in my mind, it's risk, right? If it grew really fast, it could also drop really fast. But if it's grown stably, it's likely not to fall off very quickly. The other thing is gross margin. I like to see a business that, the, so the business owners that, that I know, the ones that are the least stressed have a over 60% gross margin. And that's yeah. product cost, not, I mean, people can add different things to their cost of goods sold, like merchant payment fees and whatever, but I'm talking like product costs. So if your product costs are less than 40% of sales, I think you can run a successful business and hit a break even point and be happy. The other thing would be marketing spend. You know, again, from the businesses that I work with, I work with around 10 to 15 now, I would say people that have an MER, so marketing spend divided by revenue, e-commerce revenue of 15%, those are the people that are loving life, taking trips, yeah. they're happy, you know, that kind of thing. I think 20%, still not very stressed. 25 is that point where it's like people are, I've noticed that people are feeling a little bit stressed, they're a little bit worried. And so that's the point at which, you know, and 30, the ones that are at 30 are, are struggling to make any money at all, basically. So, well, that's um, more like VC territory, right? Like, 
yeah, ones well, that are going to be spending that kind of money. Yeah, you can pay whatever you need to get to acquire someone. But again, like I say, fifty. If you can get to fifteen, your business should, there's no reason your business can't make tons of money once you hit a revenue point, right? And then the last thing, of course, is well, the two last things, obviously, net profit margin, but then salary over revenue. I would say people that are up above twenty again are stressed. Fifteen. What's the number you like to see, Matt? Uh, fifteen and below for someone that's gonna grow. For someone that's gonna grow bootstrap and kind of grow a sustainable business, fifteen is the number that I like to see at or below. If you're VC funded, you do whatever you want because they have given you a bunch of money and they'll give you more probably. So you can spend a lot. But if you're a founder that is just going to grow low and slow and, and build wealth for yourself and your family for the future, 15 is the number to be at or below. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Love that. Matt, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Sustainable growth. It is looking forward constantly at your expense structure planning like i've seen people where they hire really smart people but too soon and they don't make any money because of that so i would say sustainable growth managing your expense load to me are the other ones that i've seen people see awesome matt i got three more questions for you i hope that you are ready i think so i ask matt questions all day so uh (laughs) i'm assuming that this is gonna go okay matt favorite tool or app that you're using right now and i'm gonna guess what i think it is in my mind it's microsoft excel oh it's excel (laughs) that's my favorite yep (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were going to say Mural. Oh, I do love Matt, Mural. Matt loves Mural. I hate Mural. It's a great relationship. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my favorite tool that I work in all day, every day is Excel. It's it's kind of feel like a stick in the mud saying that, but it's got to be Excel. Yeah. Love it. Uh, second question for you. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Ooh, favorite audiobook? The Will Smith Will Smith book. Uh, I love that. Oh! He, yeah, I love that he narrates it. And when he, he, he does like the raps, like within the book, he talks about music. Uh, he's so vulnerable within that book. Uh, it's really great for someone of that caliber to be that vulnerable. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's great. Last question for you. Yep. Uh, if you could sit down with anybody, you get an hour with them. They have to be alive. Um, mm-hmm. You can have some coffee, tea, beer, wine. You like whiskey yep. too. So maybe yep. some whiskey. Yep. Who would it be? Barack Obama. Mm, okay. Tell me why, Barack. As a person of color, I, I look up to him quite a lot and what he's done and the respect that he's earned and the the lack of anger that I, I don't see that in him. The diplomacy, the ability to, to, to speak through complex issues calmly, confidently, the bringing people together as much as he tried. And that he and I see him like smiling and laughing now, you know, on Instagram or Facebook. So definitely Barack Obama. One of my mantras, I don't even know if I've told you this before, Matt, but one of my mantras is is uh, is one of Barack's mantras. Oh. And it's a plaque that he had on his desk mm-hmm. um, throughout his eight years. Mm-hmm. And it said, hard things are hard. Yeah, I like that. Right? It's just like, because one of the things that I've done over the years and one of my personality traits is to minimize things, right? Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big mm-hmm. deal. But no, hard things are hard. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay that they're hard. They're going to, there's going to be hard things. And and in fact, I think this is something that I've talked about on the podcast before too, but when we look at uh, Viktor Frankl and what he said in Man's Search for Meaning in the three things that bring meaning to somebody's life, it's love, it's courage in the face of adversity, and it's mm. meaningful work. So without that courage in the face of adversity and, and facing hard totally. things, it's not a meaningful life, right? It's not the, you, you don't have that meaning inside. Yep. So that's my, that's my little Barack uh, thing love there it. that I wanted to let love you guys it. all know about. <laughs> cool. Matt, such a great interview. Uh, it's hilarious because we talk every single day, basically. <laughs> uh, but this was, this is totally different. So I uh, really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you and more about 8X? Tell us a little bit about how you help e-com companies. Sure. So www. 
8x.co, the letter 8 spelled out, x.co. So uh, what I do, uh, the linchpin of what I do and what the most important stuff that I do is cash flow planning and making sure that I'm nine months ahead or so of issues. That's my goal is to be nine months ahead of any cash issues that you might have. So if I can find something, you know, it's February. If I can find a cash issue happening in November, we have nine months to fix it, nine months to go to the bank. You look like a genius. We can fix those problems when we have that much time. That's the core of what I do. The next thing is sustainable scale and profit optimization. So I want you to grow as fast as makes sense. I don't want you to be too stressed. I don't want you to run out of money. I don't want you to give up too much margin. I want you to have a, the life that you want to have. And so I can help you map that out into an Excel spreadsheet and some actions to take and some people to talk to and who you should hire when. So that's those are the two big things that I do for people. And then you get the rest of what a CFO can give you. So do you have a hard contract to read? I can read it. Do you have an M&A deal? I can help you do that. In fact, I saved someone 500 grand in December from a structuring, a structuring idea that I gave them. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely speak to that as well, that Matt helps with all of that kind of stuff. Every time I have an idea, I just throw it by Matt. Like, hey, what do you think? Even if it's not on a, a business that we're working on together. So uh, from the CFO standpoint, so super, super helpful. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Guys, go check out Matt uh, on LinkedIn as well. Search Matt Putra. And uh, you guys, uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, Jordan. This was awesome. Hey, guys. We hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.